Hi everyone and welcome to episode two of Not All Men Improv. We're very excited to be back with our very second episode. Joining me this week are the usual Sussex. Hi, I'm Georgina. I'm Victoria. And I'm Lauren. Okay, so this week we'll be talking to Lauren Court Dobson about her weird and wonderful journey through improv comedy. Lauren is just insanely funny to the point where I often stare at her in awe and just wonder how she managed to come up with something so quickly. I'm one of those people that really takes a few days to think about a quick comeback to, to something that's been said to me, whereas Lauren just thinks of it on the spot. So Lauren, I just kind of wanted to ask you how you do that and why Why are you so funny? Um, <laughs> so the secret <laughs> is to just be constantly wearing a wire and have the answers fed to you and just don't <laughs> improvise anything at all just just have someone pay them whatever you need to just have the comedy just spread out to you cool <laughs> but in all seriousness yeah i, I just um why is the wire not working lauren <laughs> <laughs> i guess it's just I've always loved putting words together and I think where it started is just really and I think a lot of improvisers say this just having a, a really unnatural level of love for puns and punning <laughs> and you know those terrible joke books you get when you're a kid and read from cover to cover. I used to love and, those. Yeah no oh. they were the best and from there you can get into the mindset of looking at things of seeing how the words link together and, and I guess for me a lot of what it is linking the concepts together taking two different things and saying how can these two things work together I think they were probably the things that my parents regretted buying me the most because I'd be like oh oh mum 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 listen to this one listen to this one and I'd just be in the kitchen and she'd be just like okay yeah I think we've had enough of those now <laughs> not every time she was very very patient with me oh you know I did the exact same thing with my parents I think I remember reading a Christmas joke book from cover to cover to my mum and it wasn't even oh, Christmas. Yeah. And oh. I think that may have been may have been the point they decided not to have any more children. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God. So apart from the joke books, particularly the Christmas joke books, what were some of your influences growing up? What kind of shows did you watch and where did you learn to be funny? Yeah, so it was a lot of watching comedy on TV. I'd always have this routine in the evenings where I'd have a bath and then go watch some comedy. So my favourites were Blackadder and just because the humour deepens as you get a bit older, but it's still really funny when you're eight years old or whatever to watch a grown man put two pencils off his nose and keep playing <laughs> Wimble. Probably Probably my favourite female comedy influence was Dawn French and uh, oh. Vicar of Dibley because that's something everyone can kind of sit around and watch together as a family and it was genuinely funny you know there was a genuine joy to it and I thought it'd be quite cool to be a little bit like that one day. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you know that you were funny or how did you know that improv was something that you wanted to take up? I didn't really know if I was funny for a bit. I remember being told specifically I wasn't funny and what? <laughs> that is some nonsense. Who is this person? We just yeah, find them down. I think when you're a teenager and your jokes don't quite land, teenagers say if they don't find something funny, they will tell you straight away. And so I got a lot of that when I made a slightly more obnoxious fun. It was probably <laughs> over their heads. That's the thing. They just yeah. didn't understand you. I did really like acting at school. And I went to this drama club during lunchtimes for a while. And that was just drama games and just playing about and having fun with different things you could do with acting 
acting and comedy. I didn't really know that you could do that properly as a hobby as an adult. I thought it was just go into acting, you go to theatre or TV and that's it. Those are the options. And to the point where when I went to do my drama A level, I almost felt like spending a session playing a table or tackling some hard issues in drama. That was just the price to pay for getting to do the drama games at the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah, it's like, oh, this is a bit tedious. I'm not really into this, but you know, we get to play Zip Zap Boing at the beginning, so it's worth it. (laughs) (laughs) So it was the drama games that really hooked you? Yeah, just, you know, the freedom of it really and the lack of constraints. Yeah, so I didn't really know that improv was a thing until I got to university and found that there was an improv society, IMPSOC. So I went there for the first session and it was a very good group, but it was a very, very male dominated group, especially at the beginning. Yeah. And so I went along to the first session, had had some fun with the guys there and everyone else there. And then I don't think I went back for three months or something. Because um, <laughs> I was just like, that's a lot of guys doing Star Trek references. I'm, I don't think I'm going to go back for a while. But then Rory, who's in Fespionage and who set up Mimpsock, he, he found me and made me come back. And, and that was it really. Yeah. <laughs> You did some really incredible things in that group. You dabbled in a bit of stand-up during Imsop. Most crucially, you got to open up for Sean Walsh at the Guinea Goat Festival in, I think, 2013. Like, how did you manage to do that? I don't know. Yeah, it's an amazing opportunity to get to open for a nationally recognised comedian. And he was really good, gave some really good tips. And yeah, it's just a great experience. And we've had some great experiences as a group, getting to work with some more well-known comedians like we've worked with Phil Jutus. It's always good to have opportunities to collaborate. Definitely. Moving away from IMSOC and then moving towards Thespionage. How did that happen for you? Because were you in Manchester originally when that was kind of going on? I went home for a few years to do my master's degree and work for a bit and I was it was a really nice group up in central London and they actually did long form which is not something Fespionage tends to do so that was a really interesting experience just to sort of have that variation and also one of the performers in that group she played improvisational piano which really lent an interesting note to some of the sessions because it was just amazing the way we could be doing a scene and she could find exactly the right music for it without having to look it up or spend months preparing. It really reignited my passion for doing it at a time when I was a bit sad and in a job I didn't really particularly like. Mm -hmm. So then long distance with my boyfriend for a few years and we decided to move to Manchester together and sort of by coincidence a lot of people who you and love decided to move there too and that's how Fespionage happened. (laughs) (laughs) The power of improv drew us all together. I think so just that improv magnetism. By the power of improv. So with Thespionage, what have been some of your highlights? Like Georgina's said, I think it's always got to be the Christmas show that we do because just the way we all sort of come together as a group and all the ideas splitting about, there's something really special about that because we all have these ideas bouncing off each other, but we always manage to bring it in together to make something at least vaguely Christmassy um, <laughs> and, and just getting to provide a really nice experience for the audience as well. I wanted to ask you about, you performed stand-up in Manchester, you did in Bangor as well. I wanted to ask you about your process behind writing for stand-up but then also you've written a lot of sketches as well so what's your process behind that? Do you just like get an idea and think oh that would be a good sketch and then just kind of work out 
what would happen yeah it's just finding certain things from day-to-day life really really funny just sort of always looking out to see what's funny about day-to-day life because life can be a bit rubbish but it's also there's really really funny things in there and joy if you if you sort of look at it when you've got a spare moment so I find particularly like if I'm on the bus <laughs> I can sort of look out the window and often I'll kind of see something funny happening and the gears will start turning slowly and <laughs> I sort of think is there actually a sketch in that or even a stand-up routine and also talking to my boyfriend Sam that's really helpful and a lot of ideas have just come from just being sat giggling on the sofa together over something completely ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> yeah I do love a bus drama there's so much crazy shit that happens on buses that just yeah. is never documented and it's so nice that somebody's providing that public service absolutely <laughs> just make sure you don't twinge your neck looking around too quickly yeah. what's happening it's, it's an <laughs> occupational hazard <laughs> <laughs> the number of times lauren i get a message from you on facebook and it's just a pun the reason but, i send um, them to you is because you're very tolerant and um <laughs> and so if it's rubbish i know you won't destroy my fragile self-esteem i love them all <laughs> i could never destroy your fragile self-esteem because they always just make me snort oh thank you make me snort (laughs) maybe you guys should write like a joke book together a christmas joke book christmas joke book oh well i'd simply be the editor saying yes that is acceptable because i don't have anything interesting to say it's all lauren She's the pun queen. Lauren, just watching you as an audience for so many years. I mean, I've seen audiences cry with laughter. Just bring the house down whenever you're on stage, particularly during Sex With Me Is Like, which I managed to do before lockdown. And I just stood there like completely like... (laughs) (laughs) All right, asexual, just got that. Lizzie, I'm really sorry, but my internet went out for a second and I missed the middle part of it. (laughs) I just just came back on asexual. That's fine, that happened to me a few years ago. Um, (laughs) During Sex With Me is like, which I did before lockdown, I stood there on stage and my mind went completely blank and I was trying to like think of something funny to say. But Lauren, you always manage to come up with a line or a a response that just absolutely brings the house down. And you do it month after month, show after show. Without fail. Yeah, how does your brain do that? I think I'm just a naturally filthy human being. (laughs) (laughs) I think for anyone who hasn't watched any of our shows, the game Sex With Me is like is very much like um, World's Worst or Seeds From A Hat where performers step forward as individuals and um, give their punchlines give their jokes um, by completing the phrase Sex With Me is like and then an explanation based on suggestions from the audience and I think there's an unspoken rule between the rest of us performers that when Lauren steps forward you just cannot follow her and our host just <laughs> has to bring in a new suggestion yeah. because you just can't we're all just the warm-up acts we step forward we provide the filler just while Lauren's brain is getting into gear she's thinking <laughs> of the killer thing that will just bring the house down and then it doesn't matter how many of us have ideas after that you just can't follow her yeah Uh-oh. without fail every time sorry guys <laughs> what it's your trademark <laughs> don't apologize I do not apologize. we love it honestly oh, thank you great oh thank you so much lauren for for talking us through your improv journey it was really good to hear about all your influences it's a pleasure thank you okay so for the second half of the podcast we are going to talk about mental health and improv i know this is something that's quite personal to a lot of people different people have had different experiences of performing comedy and improv whilst having mental health issues and people are often nowadays using their experience with mental health issues to as material for their stand-up routines of the sketches and scenes so my experience although i don't have a lot of experience is that i was put off for quite a long time by my mental health issues 
So I didn't join a group for, for a long time because I just didn't think I had it in me to, to get up on stage and try and be funny and perform. But what has your experience been? Have you found mental health to be kind of a positive influence on your mental health? Have you found it to be detrimental? I personally have only ever found it to be a positive thing. So I'm naturally a, a bit of a perfectionist. Well, try to be anyway. But I suppose that's the problem with being a perfectionist. You never quite get there. <laughs> <laughs> And I, when I first started doing improv, I really enjoyed being part of the sessions, but I did suffer quite a lot with feelings of inadequacy and feeling like I didn't belong there simply because so many other people were being really funny and I'd catastrophize and I'd think, oh, well, why didn't I say this? And I could have said this. But I think improv has given me coping mechanisms so that even if I do feel inadequate, I know there's always something positive that will come out of a session or a show. There'll always be highlight that I can think back on when I am feeling inadequate or when I've got an imposter syndrome but I just enjoy performing so much that I'm starting to be able to manage to push those feelings to one side and push them down. Yeah I think I definitely had a little bit of that particularly being married to one of the performers I just didn't want people to turn around and be like oh well she's his wife so of course she got a slot not kind of <laughs> I don't want to be a pity party. I wanted to, I to be mean. there on, you know, my own merit. and Which you absolutely are. Yeah. Mm, oh, absolutely. thank you. Thank you. I think for me, it's been an interesting sort of journey because I've kind of had like a sort of massive decrease in, in confidence and self-esteem since since starting improv at uni. You know, at that time, I was very confident. I was quite happy to get up on a stage. I know I had some initial doubts, but once I got into the swing of it, you know, I didn't really, I don't think my mental health was in a really good place. And so it didn't really affect how I improvised. Time has passed since then. <laughs> mm. And life situation and particularly how I feel um, when I'm at work it's, it's a very sort of different story and improv is really the thing that I just have a completely different self people who know me at work and know how kind of quiet and introverted I am and don't really speak up cannot believe it when I tell them that I do improv because it's just like it, I'm a completely different person so I still haven't quite figured out how to carry that confidence and resilience and all the skills that you get from doing improv the ability to think on your feet and to make a fool of yourself and to fail in front of people I haven't really figured out how to carry all those things over into kind of other aspects of life yeah. um, and I think part of that is just down to being so happy and comfortable around all the people I improvise with you know mm -hmm. we've all known each other a long time we're all good friends and, and so it just feels like a very different sphere so I think um, we're still really trying to kind of reconcile those two selves I suppose. Mm. And it's difficult because we do like to separate ourselves to different bubbles and pockets don't we and compartmentalise so it's that process of breaking down barriers between your different selves I suppose. It's also sometimes it can just be like you say feeling comfortable about the people you're with we feel so comfortable with each other because we've known each other for so long and we had a session I think it was actually our last session before everything changed in the world <laughs> and <laughs> we were waiting on the host of the session to show up and it was an amazing session but we just played party games for like an hour at the beginning and we had the best time <laughs> playing like kids party games that you'd play when you're about eight years old and it's just this license to play and I can be so open with any of you because you all spark joy in me Aww. so uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna Marie Kondo you out of my life <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I agree what Victoria says. I don't know if it is because we've known each other a very long time and we're a very tight-knit group or if it's improv itself as a thing, but it's just such a joyful space to be in. And sometimes, like Georgina said, it's difficult to reconcile the joy of that experience with the more everyday stuff. But it's kind of just nice to be in that different space, even if you can't always quite carry it with you when you go outside the room and when you leave the session. It's that tendency to catastrophize and and to worry about things that I think is common in a lot of us in the group, in a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you go into an improv group, like a good one, then you don't feel that inhibition. I don't tend to do so much post-mortem on what happens in the sessions. I don't sit there going over and over what happens during a scene or it just exists in the moment and then it's done and it's either good or maybe not so good sometimes but it's just it's sort of its own thing yeah I think it's also a lot of it is about and this is gonna sound super cheesy but the power of laughter you know we're in it we're we're performing we're making each other laugh we're hopefully making the audience laugh and sometimes we're making ourselves laugh so you know being being surrounded by that really positive energy I think sometimes depending on the stand-up sometimes stand-up can feel a little bit sort of negative you know and the audience are maybe a bit on Mm. the back foot because they're worried about being picked on and Mm -hmm. that isn't something that that happens certainly not with our improv and the way we do it and so it is just a really positive happy space where people will hopefully just be laughing at you and with you because you're being totally ridiculous yeah it's so cathartic isn't it we go to a rehearsal or we go to a show and you just laugh so much it almost feels like you've cleared your lungs like you feel invigorated by the laughter which is I hate myself for saying that sentence oh my god I've been invigorated (laughs) by the joy that you all bring to me But it's true. And no matter what's happening in in life, I've had some really low times, you know, being so anxious, having panic attacks, having suicidal thoughts. But that goes when I'm doing improv. And I know that's really cheesy, but it's honestly kind of the the best medicine. Oh, that's amazing. Love you guys. Oh, I I miss you. you For listeners, we're all doing hearts with our fingers at the screen. (laughs) Mine looks like a potato. (laughs) It's a sweet potato, (laughs) y'all. Mine looks like a lumpy pair of testicles, which is very ironic. (laughs) (laughs) You should get those checked out. (laughs) They shouldn't be lumpy. (laughs) Check your boots and your balls, folks. (laughs) Guys, this is the end of episode two of Not All Made Improv. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.